Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we're going to talk with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. We're going to ask him those hard questions like, you know what, I'm walking my dog, and the neighbor dog comes up and attacks me and my dog. Can I shoot the neighbor's dog? Also, I thought we had laws on the books similar to red flag laws. So we're going to ask Edwin about that. You know, what are red flag laws? You know, and also, how what happened in Florida with red flag laws is going to affect Texas if Texas comes up with red flag laws. We're going to talk about that. And also, breaking news, is the NRA going bankrupt? There's reports that the NRA has filed paperwork in court in New York that, hey, what's happening in New York State is affecting the NRA, the National Rifle Association. So we need to find out what's going on with that. Is the NRA going bankrupt? So what are the red flag laws? Can I shoot my dog? Those are those hard questions. We're going to ask Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. But before we get to Edwin, you know, we have a lot of things planned this year, a lot of things going on and planned with Central Texas Gunworks, um, with the Come and Talk It radio show. We're going to take it to the next level with, like, the store, with with Central Texas Gunworks. You know what? In September, we're going we're gonna to go out there. We're just going to go all the way out, and we're going to say, hey, if you order a firearm from Central Texas Gunworks and we don't get that firearm from you in the month of September, in three to five days, we're going to give you that gun free. Yeah. So we're going to take it and go all out with it. we got a lot of deals that are coming up in September with, um, you know, buy your husband or your spouse, your boyfriend a gun. This is buy your boyfriend or spouse a gun month, September. So we're going to talk about that a little more and some other things. We have all types of things that are going on. We're, you know, we're selling accessories for AR-15s and uh, so that way you can put your AR-15 together. Uh, we have all those deals that are happening and so much more. Uh, some of the things that we're going to discuss and break down for you uh, at Central Texas Gunworks, come and talk a radio show. But these red flag laws, I'm so confused with the red flag laws. What is going on with this? We have different states, uh, states around the country that actually are 
passing red flag laws. And I thought that we had some laws already on the books to handle this. You know, don't we have detention orders? Don't we have other things? You know, if you're having problems with a family member, you know, we have things on the books right now that you can get a restraining order. I know for a fact, even in my gun store, I have people that have had, you know, had problems with a family member. So uh, they have actually brought all their guns in to the store, have us hold on to those firearms until the things get worked out, and then we give them back. These are things that we do right now, and a lot of people don't know that. You know, so we have laws and things on the books right now to assist people with issues that they're having, you know, whether it's a restraining order and other things. And those are some of the things that we're going to break down with Edwin Walker with Texas U.S. Law Shield. Also, we just passed the anniversary, July 29th of uh, 2018 was the, you know, the two-year anniversary of my parents' shooting. Two years ago, July 29th, 2016, three to four guys uh, actually attempted to break into my parents' home while they were sleeping. And so my parents and them, they're back to normal now. They're doing great. Uh, they, the anniversary, you know, came and went. And they're doing wonderful things in, in the great state of Georgia, the Peach State. So, and that's also thanks to Texas and U.S. Law Shield, because U.S. Law Shield was the attorney, the law firm, that actually assisted my parents in getting them back to some type of normalcy, getting them that, back their firearm, getting them, you know, uh, that that you know that legal assistance, so that way uh, they can actually get back to a little normalcy there. So I'm grateful to Texas and U.S. Law Show for that, and that's why I've asked Edwin Walker to come on the show today to talk to us about some of these uh, crazy things that are actually happening. There's a big, huge case that took place in you know in Texas just this week where the guy was walking his dog, and his dog. Him and his dog were attacked by another dog, and he had to shoot it. And a lot of people are upset by this. You know, is, is, is this the right thing to do? Is this the moral thing to do? Are there other things that we can do to stop another dog? What, you know, do we have to go straight for the gun? There's the law, and there's what we should do. There are two, type, two types of things there. What we should do, and there's the law. We're going to talk to you about the law, what the state of Texas says, because we remember Rick Perry our former governor was attacked with his animal. He had to pull out his firearm, use it to stop that animal that attacked him. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about more. Police are seizing firearms in Florida. We're going to talk about that on this new red flag law that Florida has passed. Do police need more power? They need more authority. We're going to break that down also this next hour and a half. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. (laughs) And I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talking. The right choice for breaking news first. Talk 1370. The right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're back and we're talking about 
Man, can I shoot the neighbor's dog? Also, I thought we had laws on the books similar to the red flag laws. Also, is the NRA going bankrupt? We're going to talk about that and more with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. But before we get to Edwin still, because I'm not done yet, you know, can I can I shoot the neighbor's dog? There's this thing going around where people are walking their dog. They're out and about doing their things uh, like on Saturday, Sundays in the evenings, early in the morning. A dog runs out and they feel threatened. Well, you know what? I'm you know, I'm going to let Edwin explain to you what the, the state of Texas says, what the laws on the books are. But here's what I want to tell you. And the things that we tell people in class when you're taking a license to carry handgun course, you need to use your head because that could be 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds that will change your life forever. So use your head. There's what the law says and there's what you should do. A dog runs up and attacks you. Take a look at the dog. You know, is he wagging his tail? Is he just going for the, you know, he's running after your dog? Um, is he just excited because you guys have crossed his area? Are you in his yard? So definitely use your head and, you know, take a second and, you know, and just wait. You know, try to separate them. You know, use some, you know, some force before you go straight for deadly force. There are other things you can do. What about carrying some pepper spray? What about a stun gun? What about a taser? A stun gun. Do you know that you can use a stun gun? It makes a loud noise. And that dog would associate that noise with you. And I guarantee you they'll never come near your dog ever again. So there are some things that, you know, we can do as far as, you know, are you going to be able to sleep that night? And then there's what the law says. But you know what? I'm going to leave it up to Edwin Walker to talk to you about what the laws are. You know, what does the Texas state law says? Can I shoot that dog? You know, you know, what's uh, that dog runs up? He is attacking my dog. He's attacking me. Can I shoot him? And but we'll, so we'll go to Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney for Texas and the U.S. Law Shield, because there's a difference between what the state of Texas says, what the law says, and then what you probably should do. You know, there's morals and things of that nature, you know. But, hey, you know, we kind of break that stuff down in our classes. We try to bring some conflict resolution into it. When we're teaching the license to carry handgun courses, we try to calm those situations down. We try to get you to a point where you don't have to fire that firearm. You know, also, you know, we also try to get you to help your attorney out as well. So let me bring into the conversation Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Show. Edwin, welcome to talk, come and talk it, sir. Hello, Mike. How are you? It's always great to be on your show. Outstanding, sir. All right. So, you know, hey, Edwin, about about walking in my neighborhood and I'm walking my dog. Can I shoot that dog that's attacking me and my dog? Well, you know, that is a that that's a situation that faces people on almost a daily basis. Uh, I would have to say that, uh, you know, as as one of Texas Law Shield's principal program attorneys and as one of the attorneys that mans the hotline, uh, dog shooting cases, dog, well, all dog attacks, whether you shot the dog, whether you just brandished the, the gun at the dog, because um, uh, we've had those incidents as well. Uh, those probably are a, you know, those, those are, those are very close to, you know, being a quarter, being a quarter, a third to a third of the calls that we receive. Uh, it happens with alarming frequency. And certainly, we don't want anybody to get mauled by a dog. We don't want anybody's dog to get mauled by a dog. 
And we don't want, you know, we don't want, we don't think that people ought to be indiscriminately shooting dogs or injuring dogs. So we're all dog lovers. Everybody loves dogs. Um, in fact, I'm sitting here with two dogs. I hope they don't start barking and disturb our conversation. But uh, <laughs> so, so we're all dog people. We love dogs. And the state of Texas, though, has created a very uh, unique and somewhat ambiguous situation whenever it comes to using deadly force against dogs. Uh, in fact, the example that you use, if you're out in your neighborhood and you're walking your dog and a dog comes up to attack your dog, uh, the law actually puts you in a better in a better position to use deadly force in that situation than if the dog were actually to come up and attack you or attack your child, as weird as that may seem. And that is because Texas, uh, the Texas Health and Safety Code has a specific provision in it that explicitly says that a person is allowed to kill a dog or a coyote that they catch in the process of attacking their domestic animal, their livestock, or their fowl. And so, you know, it doesn't say child. It doesn't say themselves. It doesn't say another human being. It limits it to domestic animal, livestock, or fowl. Um, some of y'all may remember that this was the same authorization that Governor Perry used to dispatch a coyote that was that he claimed was attacking uh, his dog while out on a run. So, <clears throat> and, uh, and even more so, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals has explicitly held that this authorization can be used as a defense to a criminal matter where somebody is charged with cruelty to animals. Mm. And so... Uh, um, and so in the event that, that an individual does get charged with cruelty to animals and they were able to say, I thought that this dog was attacking my dog or I caught this dog or I stopped this dog from attacking my dog, they're going to get that defense. And unless the prosecutor has some evidence to the contrary that there was no dog attack, uh, that person is going to win. I do not see how anybody can be convicted of cruelty to animals if they say, I shot a dog who was attacking my dog. Now, what's interesting is that that only applies to the cruelty to animal charge, and this is where a lot of people find it difficult. Since it only applies to the cruelty to animal charge, as uh, illustrated by the <coughs> Court of Criminal Appeals, that means that it has yet been established in law that it can be used for as a, as a defense to other charges that would arise from your use of a firearm to fight off the dog. So in the event that somebody were to shoot a dog that was attacking their dog, and let's say the police and prosecutors were smart enough to know, well, we really want to prosecute that guy because we don't like people who use guns to shoot dogs, even if it is they're attacking their dog. We're going to charge this guy, not with cruelty to animals, but we're going to charge him with how he was cruel to the animal. We're going to charge him with discharge of firearm and recklessly discharge of the firearm in the city of over 100,000 people. Mm. We're going to charge him with deadly conduct. We're going to charge him with disorderly conduct. The Court of Criminal Appeals has not established yet that this, uh, that this, this authorization to kill dogs and coyotes that are attacking your uh, livestock, your domestic animal, or your fowl, uh, as a defense, to one of those charges. And in fact, um, a lot of times that's what we see because the cruelty to animal statute, interestingly enough, it does contain a specific provision that allows you to, uh, that, that offers you a defense if you injure or kill an animal that is in the process of attacking you. 
for that. Again, only for the cruelty to animal charge. Okay, so uh, Edwin, let me one of these other charges. Let me ask you this then. All right, so let's say I'm out exercising. I'm running by myself. I don't have my other dogs with me, and some other dog, uh, you know, runs after me, and I'm in fear of losing my life. Does that change anything at all? Well, it do, it actually makes it more difficult for you in terms of what you are allowed, you know, whether or not you're allowed to use a firearm to defend yourself. Really? So I'm and out. Wait, hold on. So I'm out by myself. I'm running around Town Lake in Austin, Texas, and you know, someone's dog gets loose. They run after me to attack me. You're saying it's a little more difficult because I don't have my dog with me. That's correct. It is a little more difficult, and the reason is is because Texas does not have a generalized self-defense statute against animal attacks. And you know, Mike, this is some this is a position that I've advocated for many, many, many years uh, because most people use firearms to defend themselves against animals. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to get into hand-to-hand combat with a vicious dog. Uh, nobody wants to get into hand-to-hand combat with a coyote. Uh, nobody wants to, you know, take on a, a, a rattlesnake or, or in this part in the part of Texas where I live, a water moccasin. Uh, nobody wants to encounter a dangerous animal uh, with generally anything less than a firearm. Mm. And so keep in mind, when you use a firearm, if you discharge a firearm, you're basically, um, you know, you're basically in danger <clears throat> pardon me, of being charged with about a half a dozen different types of firearm offenses. Wow. And since there's no general self-defense against animals, um, you pretty much have to establish what we call the defense of necessity. You would have to say that I fired this gun. This gun, firing this gun was necessary. I had to break the law that says I can't fire a gun because it prevented a greater harm. That greater harm was me being mauled by the dog, or was me being bitten by a water moccasin, or was me being, you know, eaten by a coyote. Uh, so you would have to actually establish that, and you would have to win uh, an acquittal from a jury that would be sitting there weighing the reasonableness of you firing, you know, discharging this firearm versus, you know, the harm that you're claiming you're trying to prevent. All right, so when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you, Edwin Walker, then what if, you know, what, can I use a sword? Can I use a knife? Uh, we're talking about can I shoot the neighbor's dog? I thought that, you know, under the, the, uh, the thought that the, we had laws on the books right now against red flag laws. We're going to talk about that more when we come back from the break. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. This is State Representative Jonathan Stickland, and you are listening to Come and Talk It on Talk 1370. Listen to Talk 1370 anytime, anywhere with the all-new Radio.com app. Check your phone's app store or visit talk1370.com slash app. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. So we're back and we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And we're talking with Edwin about, you know what, can I shoot the neighbor's dog? Um, Also, I thought we had laws on the books similar to the red flag laws. And is the NRA going broke? You know, so we're going to find out about that and what's going on. What is happening with the NRA? Or is this just, hey, this is just something they need to do. File this case in court. Uh, to you know, just 
just it's just another tactic uh, to keep moving forward in the things that we need to do to defend the Second Amendment. All right, so we're talking to Edwin Walker and Edwin. You know, so we we went on break there. You know, we had a had a couple questions that came in online. Uh, one is, does law enforcement and courts communicate on domestic violence issues? That's a whole nother question there. It's totally different from the topic that we have. But someone asked, does law enforcement and courts communicate on domestic violence issues? That's a weird one. Well, uh, they do. In fact, whenever somebody gets a protective order, <clears throat> one of the requirements of the statute is that a copy of the protective order be sent to the law enforcement agency that has jurisdiction over the address where the uh, uh, where the where the uh, where the applicant lives, and generally that's the same address where the perpetrator lives as well. So law enforcement is aware because a protect violation of a protective order is a criminal offense. Uh, that's where a lot of people get confused in the terminology. A restraining order is just a restraining order. A restraining order generally just prohibits people from doing what they have a legal right to do. A protective order is actually the result of an act of family violence. It's designed to prevent future acts of family violence, and the police can actually – it's an actual criminal offense that the police can arrest somebody for for violating a protective order. Oh, wow. Okay. Man, so the police are put on notice by the court that issues the protective order. Hmm. Okay, that's definitely – all right. So, man, I'll tell you. Thank you, Edwin. That's why I guess we asked you those hard questions, you know, Texas and U.S. Law Show. You definitely help us out there. So let me ask you this, Edwin. All right. So with the, you know, I'm out walking my dog. Well, I'm walking myself. And I want you to go over this one more time because someone had a hard time understanding this. So I'm, 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 I'm running. I'm exercising. I'm out by myself in my neighborhood. I'm running around town lake. I'm running around the lake. I'm exercising. And a dog attacks me. You said that changes things just a little bit. How does that change things when I'm and instead of me having my dog with me now I'm by myself I don't have my my four-legged friend. Well yeah and the reason is is because of the existence of this Texas Health and Safety Code 822.013. 822.013 gives per, gives a person an explicit statutory authorization to kill a dog or coyote that is attacking their domestic animal, their livestock or their fowl. And that's it. Not you, not your kid, not your family, not a, a you know an elderly person that just happens to be you know uh, lounging around in the park and gets attacked by a dog. Uh, that does not exist, and so that's what the statute says. And so, in the event that the police come up and say, "Why'd you shoot this dog?" The easiest answer is Texas Health and Safety Code told me I could do it because he was attacking my dog. Whenever you say, "Oh, because he was attacking me," now. You basically have to rely on this defense that I was discussing earlier, the defense of necessity. All right, so you let me establish. Okay, I'm so sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you have to establish that your act of killing the dog, that your act of using a gun to kill the dog uh, was absolutely necessary to prevent a greater harm, that harm being being bitten by the dog. All right, so now I'm out, I'm by myself, and I have my Bowie knife, I have my switchblade. I have my sword. I'm out running around Town Lake with my sword just to add a little weight to my run. And a dog attacks me. Am I better off using my sword than I am using my gun? You know, Mike, as weird as it may sound, you actually are better off using your sword or your, your bowie knife to defend yourself against the dog. Because in that respect, the only possible crime that they could charge you with would be cruelty to animals. 
And in that case, you would be able to take advantage of the specific self-defense provision of the cruelty to animal statute. Hmm. And so you would be better off, yes, as, as gruesome as it may seem, uh, go mano y mano uh, with the dog, with your bowie knife, and fighting it off. Uh, you're actually technically in a better spot because, like I said, there's about a half a dozen gun crimes that if you shoot your gun off, they could charge you with. Uh, and you would have a much harder time uh, arguing that um, you know arguing that you were doing it in self defense. All right, so you know, so the, and these are things that we get in in the handgun license course that people will ask these hard questions. Uh, you know, well, and I always tell people, you know, that gun should be your last option because once you use that gun, that kind of changes things. You're all you're better off using force. Uh, you're better off using maybe daily force, using something else. But when you use that that handgun, that actually changes things. When you use that firearm, that actually changes things. It will that will be ten seconds, fifteen seconds, or twenty seconds that would change your life forever. Yeah, you know, Mike, uh, and, and it's interesting you mentioned the sword because uh, you know, as you know, of course, you and all your listeners are aware, uh, we can now carry our swords and carry our Bowie knives. Uh, without fear of breaking the law, which is, um, you know, not the same if you want to carry a club. So uh, all the club, you know, the club lobby really needs to get off their haunches this next legislative session and make it legal for people to carry clubs because uh, this, I think, would actually be more effective. You know, and earlier before I came on, I heard you mentioning uh, that people who are attacked by dogs, maybe killing a dog is the last resort. Try using you know, try try using pepper spray or try you know, somehow they're breaking the dog. Well, one of the most effective ways is to uh, use a stick. In fact, my father, he walks around the neighborhood and he has a cane. Well, having a cane, a cane is a cane as long as you use it to assist your walking. However, what my dad did in his own ingenious way <laughs> is he nailed a golf ball to the end of it. Oh. I asked him, I said, why did you nail a golf ball at the end of it? He goes, well, because it's more effective in keeping the dogs away. And I go, yes, but because you have altered this cane, you have turned it into a club. Ooh. And so you've just opened yourself up to being charged with a crime, a Class A misdemeanor of unlawfully carrying a weapon. Because you have altered something that was a cane but is now a club, uh, you're doing it, you know, if, you know, in a, you know, for a good purpose. You would much rather, uh, you know, get a, you know, hit a dog to to, to get him off of you uh, rather than shoot him. Uh, but you know, in the weird, you know, in the weird world that is Texas Penal Code. Uh, you know, a 75 year old man walking around with a cane with a golf ball on it. Uh, is seen as a you know seen as a bigger threat than an attacking dog. All right, so, so Edwin, let me ask you this then. All right, so you're saying a cane is not considered a club, then you know is a bat considered a club? Well, you know, a cane is not considered a club as long as it's a cane. But if you alter it or you use it in a manner that is not its intended use, i.e., helping you walk, designed or adapted, a club. So that's where Correct. that designer adapted comes in. Yes, correct. Designer adapted. And that's what my dad did is he adapted it to be a club by putting it by nailing a golf ball to the end. All right. So um, so what about the bat? So now I'm I decide, you know what, I've had I have a, some vicious dogs in my neighborhood. You know, my my neighbors let their dogs out. They don't they don't secure their backyard. Dogs escape. So, you know what, I'm going to walk around my neighborhood with a bat. Can I do that and defend myself? 
You know, it's interesting because a bat is a bat. Um, as long as you objectively are using it as a bat. And so in the event that you're walking around this bat, hopefully you haven't adapted it for anything. So hopefully you have not wrapped it in duct tape or driven a nail through it or, you know, done like uh, Negan in The Walking Dead and wrapped barbed wire around the end of it. Uh, So hopefully you have not adapted to that, where it clearly and manifestly is, in fact, a club and not no longer arguably a bat. Uh, but if you're just if you're if you're like me, if you're a 51 year old guy just wandering around your neighborhood with a bat, and the police stop you and go, "Hey, man, why are you carrying that bat?" Because I'm here. Because I'm say, using this. I'm using this to protect myself. <laughs> if I were to say, "Well, it's a bat," and as a bat, I'm just you know wandering down to the baseball field to to hit a few balls. Uh, hopefully, I have a bag of balls and a mitt with me, and I can make that argument. Otherwise, if I have really no supporting circumstance that would show that I intended to use it as a bat or I was carrying it as a bat, uh, then they could, in fact, charge me with carrying a club. Wow. So that bat, you can actually get charged with carrying a club, which is a Class A misdemeanor. That's up to, like, what, one year in jail? Uh, yeah, up Ooh. to one year in jail, up to a $4,000 fine, up to two years probation, a combination of all of that. Uh, and if you're licensed to carry holder, uh, you get your license taken away for seven years. Ooh. So that's the weird thing about it is the state of Texas says if you have a license to carry, it is better for society for you to carry your handgun than to carry uh, a baton, a bat, an asp, um, you know, some other club-like device. All right, well, then, Tomahawks as well. Let me ask you this, Edwin. You know, that's pretty harsh. You mean to tell me that if I have a license to carry and I get convicted of a, you know, a Class A or Class B misdemeanor, I could lose my license for seven years. But if I don't have a license and I get, get convicted of a Class A or B misdemeanor, that means I can't get a new license for five years. Why am I held to a much higher standard and I lose it for seven years as a license holder? Well, ask the Texas legislature. They're the ones that wrote the rule this way. And uh, you know what's interesting is that I don't believe the DPS even knew about this kind of little nuance because they didn't write it. The Texas legislature, uh, sometimes they have a very hard time writing things that are very clear. And so instead of saying, you know, instead of writing out very clearly and saying, hey, if you get your license revoked, you have to wait seven years. If you never had a license, but you want to be eligible for one, you lose it for, but you're convicted of a class A or B misdemeanor, you lose it for five. That'd be clear. But what they said is, is that you have to be clear of any disability for two years uh, before you're allowed to apply for a, uh, uh, if you get your license revoked, you have, because of a, dis- a, a, a disability, which would be a conviction of a class A or B misdemeanor, uh, because you had a license and it got revoked. You have to be free of the disability for two years before you can reapply, which the DPS at some point figured out meant that it was seven years. All right, so we're and talking with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. He's saying, hey, can I shoot my neighbor's dog? I thought we had laws on the books similar to red flag laws. And is the NRA going broke? This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It.
Listen to your favorite shows. Keep up with the latest breaking news and more anytime at Talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And we're talking about, you know, can you shoot that neighborhood dog that's attacking you? You know, there's the law, and then there's what, you know, you might want to dig down deep inside and say, you know, and maybe I want to use something else. Uh, maybe it'd be better to use something else. Maybe it'd be better uh, to communicate, you know, because once you do that, you pull that trigger, that's going to change a lot of things. That's going to change the atmosphere in the neighborhood. That's going to change the way the neighbors look at you. So maybe that's not the best thing to do because that could be 10 seconds, 15 seconds, or 20 seconds that would change your life forever. And so definitely ask yourself, you know, am I really about to lose my life? Is this dog really trying to kill me? Or is this dog just protecting their territory? Uh, maybe you're, you know, you're on that their side of the sidewalk, you know, in their yard. Maybe yelling a big, strong, stop, no, get back. Maybe that dog will pause or stop what they're doing. There are some animals, you know, you can actually speak with a loud, strong, firm voice to make them stop. Show them that you're the alpha dog. I don't let, I'm not going to let any dog claim to be alpha dog over me. I'm the big dog on the street. So the you know, last thing I want to do is shoot another animal. I have three beautiful girls, four-legged girls at home. I have three female pit bulls, and it will break my heart if any of my neighbors ever shot my dog. So that's the very last thing I would want you to do. You know, my dogs, my dogs get out of the yard all the time. And they're definitely the type of dogs that run across the street to bark at somebody else's dog that's passing by. And if they get loose, they dig out of that yard, they break that picket fence and get out. The last thing I want my neighbors to do is shoot one of my dogs. So, you know, I'm, I'm just asking to use some type of common sense and make sure this is your last resort. There's another, another thing that you, you've tried everything else. And so we went on the break. Edwin was telling, you know, some, he was giving us some good information there. And I kind of want him to finish a little bit because he had a lot of good, uh, a lot, of, a lot of good thought there. Now you guys are asking questions, you know, maybe civilians need to get certified utilizing batons and asps. You know, and, and Donald, you asked that question, and really there's no need. As a civilian, you know, you can, you, you can actually you can have those things at home to and from your home, your vehicle, inside your vehicle. If it's a premises under control, your place of business, a watercraft, which is a boat, or a travel trailer, camp trailer, truck camper, motorhome, horse trailer, living quarters, if it's used in that activity. So those are the places that you can have those things. Anyway, you can have a baton in those places. So, but, but Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield, let me let you finish your thought. Yeah, well, Mike, also I wanted to bring up one thing that people may not have considered is that, um, you know, we all know, well, we should know that, that dogs can be pretty expensive. Um, you know, I urge everybody to go down and get a rescue dog because they're the most lovable and you don't need to pay thousands of dollars for a dog, but some people want to pay thousands of dollars for a dog. I don't know why. I can't figure that out, but they do. So in the event that, and we also know that vets, are extremely expensive. And so keep in mind that if you actually injure a dog, um, you are also opening yourself up to the potential civil liability that you may have for the price of the dog. And also, let's say you injure the dog but don't not kill it, they take the dog to the vet, 
spend $10,000 getting this dog worked on by the vet, you're potentially liable for those damages as well if it turns out uh, that you, you know, that you weren't justified in, um, you know, in, in injuring the dog. And also keep in mind, since self-defense against the dog is not actually part of Texas Penal Code Chapter 9, mm. um, you know, you're, there's, no, there's no automatic liability for damage. You have to rely on traditional defenses to liability, uh, such as the uh, that the owner was more contributory negligent to the dog's injuries than you were, um, uh, or that you were not the exact cause of those injuries uh, as a defense to any civil liability. So it is it, it's actually a much more difficult case to defend civilly uh, than if you would have shot somebody, you know, shot a human being that was attacking you. And then one thing that people always forget during class, I get them hyped up. I like to, you know, talk about different scenarios. I'll show them a video, and they're just like, yeah, you know, I'll do this, and I'll do that. And then I ask, I'll ask them, do you have an attorney? Because you do know that when you pull that gun out and you use it, you're probably going to go to jail. You're going to go to jail. You're going to be fingerprinted, booked, spend the night in jail, have to bail yourself out of jail. And when you pull that trigger, do you have an attorney? Do you have Texas and U.S. Law Shield? You know, so... And also, I'm going to give your listeners a real-life example. This case currently exists. Uh, we are handling this case out of our office. Uh, this person who we're defending is a Texas Law Shield member, so he is paying no money for his legal defense. It's covered by his membership, the purposes of membership. And what happened to him was he was going to the grocery store. Uh, there was a dog. Um, I don't even think the actual owner of this dog has even ever been identified. I think this dog was just a straight-up stray. Mm. But this dog was a was a 60, 70-pound dog, clearly a dog that could do serious injuries to a human being. Uh, he got out of his truck. He was walking towards the store. The dog came up and attacked him. He tried to back away from the dog. The dog continued to approach him. He pulled out his gun, and he discharged it one time. Uh, striking the dog, and the dog ran off. Uh, he was immediately set upon by bystanders, mm. uh, accusing him of unjustifiably shooting the dog. The police were called. The police called. They arrested him for disorderly conduct, mm. discharging his gun in a public place, which mm. is which is a Class B misdemeanor. Uh, but uh, he uh, he he was very upset by this. He bonded out a week later. The county district attorney's office upped the charge from a Class B misdemeanor disorderly conduct, discharging a firearm in a public place, to a third-degree felony Ooh. deadly conduct because they claimed that the building, uh, the the the, build, the grocery store he was walking into, would have been in the trajectory of the bullet if he hadn't hit the dog. Oh wow! Oh wow. yes, so. So uh, this is something that has continued to baffle him as to how this could even happen, how he could be subject to this. And it's simply because of these ambiguities of whether or not you're allowed to use your firearm defending yourself against the dog. In a situation like that, he probably would have been better off using a sword or a knife or a bowie knife or something like that. You know, you pull that gun out, that's definitely going to change things a little bit. Yeah, because they didn't charge him with the injury to the dog. So the fact that he that the fact that he hit the dog with a round, the fact that the dog I, I believe the dog may have eventually died. Like I said, there's been no owner identified with the dog, so there's no you know owner. Oh my God, he shot my poor dog. This was, you know, as far as we know, this was a stray dog. This mm. was just a stray sixty pound dog 
uh, that the state of Texas, they're not prosecuting him for what he did to the dog. They're prosecuting because he used a gun to do it. Mm. All right. So, you know, if you guys have questions of, uh, for, of Edwin, as a matter of fact, give us a call. It's 512-643-LIVE. That's 512-643-5483. That's 512-643-5483. So definitely call and ask, you know, Edwin Walker. With, he's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. All right, so Edwin, let's change gears just a little bit. All right, so let me ask you this. These red flag laws, you know, the state of Florida, which was, I'm actually shocked right now, actually passed the red flag laws. The state of Florida was the state that competed with other states like Georgia, Alabama, on who could do just, you know, the the quickest and fastest things with pro-gun laws. They just, they competed with each other. And now state of Florida has taken a step back. They're actually, you know, actually imposing gun control laws. How is the red flag law affecting the state of Florida? Well, I believe that the news recently came out that they had taken guns from away uh, from away from almost 500 people uh, under this new Florida red flag law. Now, the thing about it is, what the common uh, the common pushback against red flag laws is that uh, there's not enough due process contained in the uh, uh, contained in the law itself. And so what essentially it is is that somebody has complained about an individual's behavior, they have gone to a judge, uh, they may or may not have presented, you know, real evidence to the judge. The judge issues an ex parte order which directs the police to go take these guns away. Now, of course, the problem is, is that whenever you're relying on the word of another person, especially the uncorroborated, unchallenged word of another person, there is a great incentive to make things up, to lie, to get revenge. And unless there's proper due process protection to make sure that nobody's rights are taken away until they get a full, fair hearing, uh, you're going to have this type of situation. Now, the reason Florida uh, found themselves in this situation is because uh, is because unfortunately in this day and time, um, you know, in social media in the 24-hour news cycle, uh, anytime a tragedy is met like the Parkland shooting, anytime that happens, uh, the hue and cry is always <clears throat> there should be a law, there should be a law, and since of course Parkland happened in Florida, the there should be a law. Uh, resonated with the Florida legislature, and they very hastily and probably unwisely uh, put together several gun control measures that they passed. Uh, But it's interesting, to the anti-gun folks, um, which you and I know who they are, uh, the anti-gun folks were still unhappy with the state of Florida's legislature because they didn't pass a quote-unquote assault weapons ban. So even though they ran out hastily passed these anti-gun laws, that still was not enough for the anti-gun folks who still claim the Florida legislature didn't do enough. Now, Texas, um, you know, we unfortunately had our own very terrible, very serious tragedy in May at Santa Fe High School. Um, Well, the difference between Florida and Texas is that Texas does not have a legislature that meets uh, every year. They have a legislature that meets for five months every two years. And so there was no legislative session pending where somebody could have immediately gone to the Texas legislature and said, pass this law. Right. Uh, instead, we had a charge from Governor Abbott 
that said, hey, we would like the Texas legislature to begin looking at this for the possibility to see what can be done to strengthen school security. All right, so hold on there, Edwin. We come back back from the break. We're going to get into that a little more uh, because uh, we, we have a couple of questions, you know, Donald says, hey, ask Edwin if there has been issues with veteran issues, you know, and how's that going to affect Florida? Um, How's it going to affect Texas? We come back. We'll talk about that more. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Chloe on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And we're talking to him about red flag laws. And should should Texas come up with red flag laws? And if we should not, do we already have laws on the books right now, Edwin, that we can use in place of coming up with a new law? And should we give police new powers? Because we're finding out in Florida that giving you know police these new powers, people are losing their rights. And it may not be just. They already have enough powers. There's enough laws on the books right now. Why do we need more laws? So, Edwin, you were finishing up your thought. And you're, you're, you're transitioning over to Texas. Oh, yes. Well, uh, just briefly, with regard to the question that you asked before we went to break, um, federal law does prohibit a person who has been adjudicated as a mental defective from purchasing and possessing a firearm. And this is, this is pretty much where the law should be. Uh, you know, anytime there's a shooting, a mass shooting, uh, the debate always comes in. You know, at what point do we prevent people who are mentally unstable from possessing firearms? And the point that the federal government has drawn is that you have to be adjudicated as a mental defective. And the reason that that, you know, to some, that may seem like a harsh standard. Well, not all crazy people have been adjudicated as mental defective. Well, that is probably true. However, uh, we can't take away somebody's rights. We can't dispossess them of their firearm rights just based upon the word of somebody. And that's what these red flags do. The federal government, in my opinion, draws the proper line in which they say, once you have been adjudicated, which means that you have been provided due process through the court system, and you have been adjudicated, you've either been co- you know, committed by a court order to a mental health facility, or you have been adjudicated as having uh, some sort of mental issue that necessitates you having a guardian, or you've been found not guilty of a criminal offense because you were, uh, because you were legally, uh, you were not guilty by reason of insanity. There has been actually a court finding that you are a mental defective, you should not get a firearm. Uh, anything less than that, you're simply going on the word of somebody who says, hey, I think that guy's crazy and shouldn't have a gun, <laughs> which, you know, that seems like the perfect recipe for revenge in a lot of situations, whether it be, you know, a family situation or neighbor on neighbor or a coworker or, uh, you know, it's really easy to go out there and falsely accuse people of being, you know, being crazy. So now what Texas has done, in which Texas, in my opinion, the law in the state of Texas already exists in such a manner that it would allow a person who is an immediate threat of themselves because of a mental impairment uh, to be taken by the police and be dispossessed of their firearms. And that's in Texas Health and Safety Code, uh, 
<clears throat> chapter 573. This chapter 573 has been on the book since 91, so it is not a new law. We're not dealing with something that is that is new. It's being, you know, its its parameters are being explored, uh, and it's really surprising to me, uh, especially in light of the fact that both the Texas House uh, Committee and the Texas uh, Senate, their committees, have actually had hearings on whether or not Texas should explore the possibility of getting a quote unquote red flag law. Because to me, in my opinion, this law already exists. All you have to do is use it properly. Um, and I think the key is is that, and, and certainly you know, I participated in the hearing in the Texas Senate, and where they seem to get off track is, is they lost sight of the fact that there is some immediacy to somebody being a danger to themselves or others. And that's what the governor's charge was. The governor's charge said, you know, we have to explore whether somebody is immediately a danger to themselves or others. Uh, but a lot of the senators and a lot of the people who testified seem to be going off this, uh, this, this type of, of belief that there needed to be some process that would attempt to predict somebody's future behavior based upon what they've done in the past. And to me, that's where it really does get into the dangerous minority report kind of stuff right. uh, by saying, look, you've said crazy things in the past. You know, you've acted a little weird. Mm -hmm. And so we think that's bad enough that we're going to take your guns away because even though you haven't committed a crime yet, we think you might. Well, uh, Texas, in my opinion, already has a system where people who are immediate, apparent dangers to themselves or others, even though they may not have committed a crime, and which keep in mind the Texas Penal Code has got a whole bunch of crimes in it that people, you know, usually commit while in the throes of one of these episodes. Mm. So in the event that the police are not able to presently arrest an individual for terroristic threat or harassment or assault, uh, you know, or interference with a public duty, you know, any of these other laws uh, where a police officer can make an arrest of an individual, they can say, I believe that this person was so mentally disturbed mm. that he was an immediate threat, and I'm taking him into custody without a warrant, pursuant to Texas Health and Safety Code Chapter 573, take him to a mental hospital where he will be evaluated by doctors and where those doctors will make a report to the court, and the court will decide in a fairly expeditious fashion whether or not he is, in fact, you know, the, the, the individual, I use he because that's just, you know, he or she, uh, is, in fact, uh, under a mental disturbance, which warrants them being committed to a mental facility, which would, of course, invoke the federal prohibition against them purchasing and possessing firearms. Yeah, because, you know, we already do this. I do this in, at Central Texas Gunworks. You know, I've, I had someone come to me, several people come to me, this one particular case where this person came to me and say, hey, uh, there's been a court order that my other half cannot be around firearms and the firearms have to be removed from the house. So um, to prevent, you know, losing them or the police taking them and not and having a hard time getting them back, we're going to bring them into the gun store and have you, you know, check them into the gun store and leave them there until this person is able to get them back. You know, and so and and this was before actually before the judge actually ordered it so they went and took you know took steps uh, amongst themselves to remove the guns from the house first so that way they can go back and say hey this is what we've done you know to take those steps to make sure that this person can get you know access to firearms yeah and and mike also you might want to remind folks 
that may not think that this is, you know, that that's not enough or that's not serious, that, uh, you know, you as a licensed dealer, as an FFL licensed dealer, uh, before you give a gun back to somebody, even if it's their gun, uh, they still have to clear another background check. Absolutely. So, like, like other than gunsmithing, you know, if that gun comes into the gun store, uh, once they, you know, they want to get that gun back, whether they, whether they walk into the gun store and they say, hey, can you sell this gun for me? And then we can't sell it for some reason. And they want it back or they sold it to someone else and they want to come in and get it back so they can, you know, pass it on to that person. They still have to fill out the 4473, get a background check before they get their own firearm back. Yeah, we actually have seen this happen. We have actually seen this. People get themselves into a bind uh, whenever they pawn guns. Uh, we've, we've actually had to talk to several folks and explain to them how, you know, they shouldn't have pawned their gun because they will have to pass the background. They they act very indignant about, you know, they'll call up pawn shops saying they can't give me my gun back unless I pass a background check. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, they're right. They won't give you your gun back unless you pass a background check. So, but it's fun, it's funny because we'll get people that come in from a totally different state and they have a handgun. Like they come in from California or something and some re- like say they move here to move here from California and they want to sell their gun or, or something like that. And then they change their mind. They're not going to move here. They're going to move back to California. Well, they never got a Texas driver's license. So they don't have to text an ID, so they can't get their gun back. <laughs> yep. And so my advice to folks out there, if you, you know, if, if, if you may believe you're a little sketchy or have a little shadiness in your background, uh, <laughs> pawning your gun is probably not the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, because the gun stores actually, they're, you know, they're controlled and regulated by the federal government. So we're following federal laws. So, yeah, it's 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 hard, you know, sometimes explaining to people that come in, want to trade a gun in to buy something else. And they find out they can't buy the gun that they want because they can't pass the background check and say, well, can I get my old gun back that I traded in? No, no, you can't pass a background check. So you can't get the old gun back, nor can you buy the new gun. <laughs> yeah. So and, and this goes to yeah, it'd be fantastic if people knew more about the law and that the media were honest about the law, uh, because, of course, this goes to the whole root of the fact that the media believes erroneously uh, that there's somehow this gun show loophole out there, uh, <laughs> that if you buy a gun or you take possession of a gun anywhere else other than a gun store, that you don't have to pass a background check. Uh, what's important is who you're getting the gun from. If you're getting the gun from a licensed dealer uh, who is the only person allowed by law to sell a gun as a business enterprise or as a way of making a profit, uh, then you do have to pass a background check regardless of where the transaction takes place. Absolutely. Uh, so regardless of where that gun store, regardless of where I am, when I when I sell a gun to someone, I I have to do a background check on that person. You got to fill out the 4473, got to answer those questions. We got to type it in or call it in to the the NICS system. They got to tell us either proceed, delay, or denied. 
Uh, proceed, out you go with the gun, delayed, you'll have to wait three business days unless we call you back sooner, or denied. If you're denied, then you cannot get that firearm. We're talking with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. We're talking about red flag laws. We're talking about has the NRA gone bankrupt? What's happening with that? We're talking about can I shoot my neighbor's dog? This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hey, this is AWR Hawkins, Bright Bar News. You're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Listen to Talk 1370 anywhere with your Amazon Echo. Just ask Alexa to play Talk 1370. Now playing Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And Edwin was talking to us about the red flag laws and how imposing a red flag law would affect the state of Texas. Um, And keep in mind, as goes Texas, we'll go the rest of the country. So if Texas, Texas stepped back, and our governor signs into law a red flag law, then that is the beginning of your gun control taking place in Texas, the Lone Star State. And so, but what I like that happened this month is the fact that Cody Wilson with Defense Distributed, he, you know, won his case, and we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with this um, temporary order that you know, of, of coding being able to release the you know the files so that way we can get access which are already out there by the way the files are there they're already out there once you release those files they go out there in the in the world wide web they're out there they're on several websites they've been shared by millions millions of times and there's no way to get those back so the files are there gun control in that sense will die and I'm curious of what Edwin's thoughts are on, you know, this case and what's happening with defense distributed. Well, you know, it really is uh, it really is fantastic to observe this this happening. And it's really fantastic to observe how the media and all the gun control advocates and the the uh, and the legislatures, uh, the legislators, the senators and the congressmen uh, lost their collective mind uh, this past week. <laughs> Uh, whenever you know, whenever they realized what was happening, uh, because of course procedurally the case is extremely interesting because it was Cody Wilson, his group, his company, Defense Distributed, that sued the federal government for violating their First Amendment rights by claiming that they were in violation of ITAR uh, by putting these plans online. And so, um, you know, of course, the State Department, and, and which is interesting because it doesn't involve the ATF, it doesn't involve the FBI. This is the State Department. The State Department agreed, yeah, we are hindering, we're using the law to affect the free flow of information that does violate the First Amendment. Therefore, we are going to enter into a settlement where we agree that the distribution of these blueprints does not constitute a violation of ITAR. Um, And, of course, uh, the media spins it as Donald Trump gives up on gunfight and Donald (laughs) Trump allows gun 
plans to go onto the internet. And <laughs> you know, they tried to they tried to brand Donald Trump with this uh, activity. It's all his fault that these plans are 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 going online. And uh, and you just saw just the the level of ridiculousness that we saw. And hopefully, people are smart enough to realize uh, that they're they're really there is an attempt by the anti-gun folks to mislead you, to take advantage of you. Or one of the more humorous of these, I, I guess it was equal parts humor and anger with regard to my, my feelings on this. Uh, Senator Blumenthal, whenever he pulled up the big, two, the, the, the big posters of two AR platform rifles uh, that he now claimed uh, that because of the settlement in the defense distributed case, uh, those two plainly visible uh, ARs in those pictures were now somehow undetectable ghost guns uh, <laughs> that were going to be able to mow down everybody who went into a theater or a court or a church or a school. Mm. Uh, now, of course, that's ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, the media being the way they are, nobody called him out on it. Nobody stood up and said at this, I thought it was a press conference where the press could ask questions. You have got to be kidding me. How on earth are you claiming that those two guns now you believe are undetectable and will be allowed in theater schools and courts? Um, and it's just, it's just mind-boggling because what people should realize, the most important things to remember about that defense distributed situation is, number one, it's about the First Amendment. It is not about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment happens to be the object of it. But it's the First Amendment that is being infringed by the previous interpretation of ITAR. Yeah, because it's not uh, it's not just about firearms. There are other things that you can 3D print. And so if you if you say, hey, you know, we're going to stop you from doing this particular item, then that that means that the federal government can stop you from doing everything. That is correct. Uh, the second thing is, is that plastic guns are not undetectable. Okay, they're not. You know, just because it's just because some of its components are printed with a 3D plastic printer does not make the gun undetectable. Another thing to remember is that people have been allowed to make their own guns in their house for their own personal use uh, ever since the production of firearms began. Yeah, we have we and have so polymer is- polymer lures right now, which are plastic lure receivers of an AR-15 that have been around for a very long time. And those have never been any issues whatsoever. And the entire gun itself, you're right, Edwin, uh, the entire gun is not all polymer. Yes. And so uh, and the last point to remember uh, is that this allowing these blueprints of firearms to be distributed on the Internet and to be downloaded to 3D printers so that people can print out parts of a gun that you still have to have the technical sophistication to put together in a working fashion, uh, that it does not circumscribe or it it does not change or get around or circumscribe any current state or federal gun law. Mm. Whatever state and federal gun laws existed on July 31st are the same ones that are enforced and can be enforced today. Uh, this this ability to exchange, you know, to, 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 to download blueprints has not changed gun law or the ability to get a gun in or the legality of getting a gun or making your own gun in one iota. Let me ask you this, but, uh, Edwin. So how does this people have lost their minds? So how does this restraining order affect 
someone else from releasing those documents? Well, it applies only, as I understand it, it only applies to defense distributed. So, yes, anybody <laughs> else can do it because the, the thing is the State Department has already said we don't believe that putting blueprints on the Internet is a violation of ITAR. So I, so, so me as a regular citizen, a private old Joe, you know, I was able to find them online already so I can go ahead and create my website and go ahead and release them to the world right now, which are, you know, and there's nothing that they can do about it unless they just do a temporary restraining order. Correct, because the State Department has already said we don't think it violates ITAR. We're going to make a determination that doesn't violate ITAR. So – this is really this judge really ought to have his head examined. Now, how does because, that? Let me ask you this, Edwin. How does that affect other gun dealers? So, an FFL dealer can they do the same thing? Would they be subjected to the ITAR? Uh, well, the FFLs are subjected to the ITAR, and there are definite ITAR restrictions with regard to the production and shipping of actual physical firearms, uh, but not the plans themselves. The plans themselves are just plans. They're just, you know, that, that's First Amendment stuff. And just and so people know, when we, when we say ITAR, we're talking about the International Traffic in Arms Regulation is what we're talking about. And what we're saying is the Interna- International Traffic in Arms Regulations control the export and import of defense-related articles and services on the United States munitions list. Yes, it doesn't affect these particular blueprints. Or blueprints that can be downloaded to a to a printer. That's what the State Department said. So, so this judge, like I said, this judge is is, of course, he was going to. He was a, a I believe he's a Clinton appointee. He's in the Ninth Circuit. He's a district judge that's in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, so he he can be he can be as political as he wants to be because he knows nothing. And he's you know, a federal judge. He's appointed for life. However, his ruling has no basis in law. And actually, I believe that his ruling probably uh, violates the separation of powers mm. because what has happened is is the judge says, executive branch, you're interpreting this law. Uh, you're choosing not to enforce this law uh, because you've misinterpreted it. And basically the judge is attempting to use the judiciary to order the executive to enforce a law that the executive doesn't believe it can enforce. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. So, so we'll see. We'll see how it happens. But I, I, I think that uh, you know the hearing is scheduled for what the tenth or the thirteenth or, or sometime in the next week or so. And so, I think that the judge, if the judge does not wind up reversing himself, uh, I believe he will quickly be reversed by uh, by a uh, by a, a higher court, a panel of the Ninth Circuit. And so people don't get confused. There's the EAR, then there's the ITAR. Uh, one is the International Traffic and Arms Regulations, ITAR, and the other is Export Administration Regulations, EAR. So there's big, you know, two different, you know, agencies there. So don't get, get confused. And we're talking about the ITAR, um, and you know, and gun stores actually have to follow the ITAR, you know, and that's and, and meaning that if I want to, as a gun dealer who has a manufacturer license. If I want to manufacture a firearm, I actually have have to pay a tax, you know, to the ITAR. You know, it's like a, a substantial tax, very high tax, because I'm manufacturing a firearm as a dealer. 
And so I have to pay some. And once I start that, I can't stop it. So once I start manufacturing, there's no stopping until I'm done with the business altogether. So every year I have to pay a substantial amount of tax because I'm manufacturing a firearm. Yep. And that also applies to gunsmithing. So if you're doing a, a significant amount of gunsmithing where you uh, – there's a very detailed definition of, you know, you're allowed to fix guns, but if you start to manufacture even parts of guns, mm. like, say, threading barrels, uh, you, you, you're going to have to pay that ITAR tax. And that means and, – and so how does that affect a regular citizen if a regular citizen does that? Well, a regular citizen can do it because they're not a licensed dealer. They're not a licensed – but – Keep in mind, anything a regular citizen manufactures, they have to manufacture, you know, for their own use. Mm, right. So when it comes to 3D printing and the president tweeted earlier this week and he said that, you know, how does this, you know, you can't 3D print something and sell it. Well, this is not not about you 3D printing a firearm and selling it. This is about you 3D printing or, or milling a firearm and keeping it for yourself. Right, Edwin? Correct. If you were to, you know, if you were to assemble a gun and sell it, print out a gun, go to your drill press and carve out your own gun, and you sell it, you put it in the stream of commerce, uh, you're basically being a, an unlicensed manufacturer of firearms. Man, thank you. know what? Thank you, Edwin, with Texas and U.S. Law Shield, the principal attorney. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself. You're listening. Come and talk it with Michael Cargill. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.